It never ceases to amaze me in leading worship, and I think the worship team says the same thing. When we hear you all sing, especially louder than us, it is a glimpse into what heaven will be like, um, and it is powerful, very, very powerful, and we appreciate hearing you sing the words um, each and every Sunday for sure. Please open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, which Vicki read to us just a few moments ago. And as you have your Bibles open and sitting on your lap, I would ask that you would join me in prayer this morning. Father, we come to you this morning with our Bibles open, with our hearts open, and with our minds open to what you have to say to us today. It is so easy for us to want to get quick answers, a quick fix, when it comes to understanding what it means to live our life for you. Today, let it not be about that. Today, Father, we look to your word, which has stood the test of time with anticipation and hope. Teach us this morning, Father, change our hearts, move us closer to what it means to be a follower of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. A little history about Colossians. Colossians is a letter written by Paul to Christians in the church of Colossae. Here are some things that we know about the church in Colossae. We know the church um, was started by Epaphras and was made up mainly of Gentiles. We also know that the church was falling victim to false teaching, specifically Jewish asceticism. Let me explain to you what that is. That is a rigorous abstention from any form of self-indulgence, which is based on the belief that renunciation or rejection of the desires of the flesh and self-mortification or self-denial can bring a man to a higher spiritual state. Paul was writing to encourage the church that genuine faith in Jesus could not be attained on their own merit. They will constantly fall flat on their faces when they try to live their faith out in their own name rather than in the name of Jesus. So what does Paul encourage the church to do? Paul was encouraging them not to revert back to their old life or their old ways, in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul was encouraging the church to set their minds on things from above, in contrast to earthly things that false teachers were telling them. Paul says, focus on the things from above, above, in verse 1. He goes on to say, put to death your old self. We see that in verses 5 through 11. What is the old self? Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, how you were before Christ. 
He gives us a list, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which he says all are idolatry. He goes on to say, rid yourself of such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. It is this list of vices Paul is encouraging the church of Colossae to stop doing. Put those things to death. Rid yourself of them. There are no man-made rules that can help rid yourself of the vices that Paul is talking about here. The church is to set their mind on things from above, not on earthly things. So we see that verses 5 through 11 of chapter 3, Paul sets up the next set of verses we're going to look at today, verses 12 through 17, which contains a list of virtues to counter the vices, and these virtues are what he is using to challenge the church to live by. Paul is telling the church that they have died to the old self, and now they must live in Christ in a new life. The new life is rooted in history, and Paul wanted to make sure they weren't fooled by others that were trying to tell them otherwise. We are going to see three strong statements Paul is making to the church of Colossae. First, he says to them, put on. Put on. This is what Paul is calling the church to personally say, I will do. Put on. Put on, then, as God's chosen holy ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, again he says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So let's take a look at this list of virtues. Compassionate hearts, the Greek word Paul uses here actually means bowels. I know that sounds gross, but it's bowels. In the Greek wor world, that was the very seat of emotions, especially love. So it may sound weird, you may even think it sounds gross, but it gives the picture of the depth of compassion that he is calling the church to have. Kindness. We all understand this, though many times it's hard to put it into action. Treating people with respect. Humility. For humility, we can look to Christ's example. Turn back to Philippians, or turn to Philippians, chapter 2, 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The people of Colossae are to be humble, following the example of Jesus Christ. Meekness. What is meekness? It is being gentle. Patience in the sense of enduring without resentment. Patience. We see this daily in God the Father and Jesus when it comes to humanity. They are patient with the human sinful nature. Believers should be patient with each other. And then Paul spends a significant time on forgiveness. Forgive in the Greek conveys that forgiving others is an act of grace freely offered to others and not often deserved. Just as Jesus has forgiven us, which we do not deserve, so we are to forgive each other. F.F. Bruce in his commentary on this verse says, Jesus, in his teaching too, he made it clear that those who seek the forgiveness of God must be ready to forgive others. What Paul is saying is if someone has offended you, don't wait for them to come to you and ask for forgiveness. Forgive them and forget what took place. Forgive them, and here's the key, forget what took place. Harboring resentment or ill towards someone is not a characteristic of one who follows Jesus Christ. Again, look at the example of, of Jesus. If he did that towards us, if he held resentment towards us, we would all be in serious trouble. He goes on to say, and above all, love. Again, Paul encourages them to put on, put on love. Take those old clothes, that old self off, and put on your new clothes. And over those new clothes, I want you to put on a garment of love. I want you, it's like putting on a belt. It pulls it all together. Love is the glue that holds compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience and forgiveness together. Love is the unifying force. This love is not the kind of love to benefit from personally, but it's a love that comes from a place of humility. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Rule here in the Greek is a very, has a very significant meaning. The meaning is, say, is the same as the word umpire. I am not a sports person by nature, you all know that, but I do know what an umpire is. And an umpire renders a verdict in contested situations. Paul is saying, let peace umpire your hearts. 
it was important for Paul to emphasize that they were to live with the peace of Christ among them as a church. Paul knew that when they began to exercise the virtues of compassion, kindness, humility, patience, and above all love, there was also going to be conflict within the body as well. Not everyone would be playing by these same rules and virtues. Not everyone can show self-restraint needed in time of conflict. Paul is saying that they will be hurt by others in the church. They will be graciously rebuked by others in the church. They must have an umpire inside of them that calls them to peace. They need to be able to call a timeout on their passions and their reactions. During that timeout, they can take time to think, redirect their thoughts to the peace that God has won for them through Christ's death. Paul does not teach peace at any price. Instead, he encourages the church to embrace God's peace and be under his control as they make courageous moral decisions for the truth and for what is right. When out of touch with Christ in their life, it is inevitable that they will not be at peace, especially with each other. Peace is to rule the congregation, Paul says. Dick Lucas says, when Christ rules in the heart, his peace will rule in the fellowship. And again, Paul echoes, as he does throughout the letter, that the church is to be thankful. When we have an overriding attitude of thankfulness, and when they have, when they have a constant attitude of gratitude in their hearts for all that God has done for them, in giving them salvation and making them a part of Christ's body, then other virtues to which Paul has called them would become much easier to live out. So such thankfulness would also make other relationships easier, as Paul explains in the following verses. Now Paul shifts from putting on, which we are to do, to let. This is what Paul is calling the church to let be done to them. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing each other, one another, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell. Let the word of Christ dwell. They are to let the gospel dwell in them richly. The teaching of the Lord's word should dwell, should reside permanently in the believer. Here again, he's shutting down what false teaching the church in Colossae were hearing, that they could achieve a higher way of living on their own merit, that they could conquer those vices that Paul talked about on their own. Paul says, no, it's about the message of Jesus Christ taking up permanent residency in their life. 
The Word of Christ must be the focus of the church. And it must be the focus in the following three ways. Teaching. The Christians in the church of Colossae should be able to instruct each other, to teach each other from the Word of God. It is interesting that we know Paul is preaching. He's a teacher. He writes letters. He exhorts. But he is telling them and encouraging them, I want you to teach one another. I want you also to take on that responsibility of teaching God's Word and encouraging each other. Admonishing. This is to express warning or disapproval to especially in a gentle, earnest, and healthy manner. Instruction should be given wisely and tactfully. It should come from a place of love and concern towards one another so that it does not solicit a reaction, but that it brings a life change. Singing. Music is a vehicle in which the message of Jesus Christ is presented. The music itself is secondary to the message. I'm going to say that again. I want you to hear that. The music itself is secondary to the message. What that means is that the music that is sung must be sung from the Word of God. Lyrics should be richly influenced by God's Word. Music should help them to remember the words of Scripture. Music should affirm a consistent commitment to Jesus Christ. The voice expresses the heart's belief about Jesus. The Word of God is central to worship. And when the words bring about an emotional response, it's because there's something sturdier there, namely the gospel. We work hard to make sure this is true of the worship here at FBC. You can always count on the fact that the scripture will be the foundation of every song we sing. I refer to Dick Lucas a few times because he's got a lot of good things to say about this passage. And he summarizes this verse better than anyone I think could. A Christian community is happy, therefore, if the word of Christ is richly, that is abundantly, available. But it may well be that the visitors looked to other sources by which the word from God might come their way. If so, and how else did they get their authoritative messages? This must have greatly influenced the teaching they gave and the type of songs they used for praise. Instead of being characterized by the word of Christ, there would be a significant admixture of human doctrines. We will not compromise here at First Baptist Church. We are unapologetic that the Word of God will be preached and taught, and that our music will also have its foundations in Scripture. 
Finally, Paul concludes this section with an exhortation to the church. Do. This is what Paul is telling the church to actually do. Verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do in word or deed, Paul is talking about their totality of interaction with the world. Every aspect of their life, not just part, the whole of their life, everything, all their decisions, all their activities, everything in the name of Jesus Christ. Nothing apart from Him, realizing the treasure they possess in Jesus Christ, being thankful for that treasure that they possess in Jesus Christ, knowing in their heart the constant presence of Jesus in their life and bringing honor and glory to Him in every aspect of their daily walk. 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of of God. And again, Paul says, and give thanks to God. Paul concludes again with a reminder to be thankful. Be thankful for God's deliverance from darkness, from the old self. Be thankful for the new self, that they are part of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ because of what Jesus did for them on the cross, because of his sacrifice for their sin, they can put on a new self being made righteous through his sacrifice. They were not made righteous through a list of do's and don'ts. They are only made righteous through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thankfulness puts all we have in the right perspective. God has given the church what they need for service, comfort, experience, and recreation. Greediness or discontent signals an attitude that says to God, I'm not getting much out of the bargain here. Thankful people can worship wholeheartedly. Gratitude opens our hearts to God's peace and enables us to put on love. Discontented people constantly calculate What's wrong with their lot in life? So we talked about Paul's encouragement to the church of Colossae. And we say, wow, good luck to them. But what he says to them then has a lot, if not even more, to do with us now. It applies to us today as well. Just like the people of the church of Colossae, we need to deal with our old self. Often we can get caught up in the latest thing that will help us in our Christian walk. But Paul is saying you don't need any new teaching. That comes along. You don't need to be looking at anything new that comes your way. 
You need the teaching that is tried and true, that has come down through history, teaching concerned with holiness, letting Christ rule your heart. There are no gimmicks or quick fixes, no self-help books that we can read. The only book we need is God's Word. The teaching of the Bible should reside permanently in each believer by his or her study and knowledge of God's Word. It's easy for us to wake up every morning and open our Bible and read a scripture and close our Bible and continue walking throughout our day. It's a whole different thing to open our Bible, read our Bible, and spend time trying to understand what is it saying? What is it saying? How should it direct my life? The Bible should reside permanently in each believer. The gospel must dwell, also dwell in the church, which should be the center for wise teaching of the gospel message, for wise advice, encouragement, or reprimand. But in our attempt to reach people's felt needs, we try other things to do what only the Bible can do. Scripture should be and must be the core of our church's ministries. Every ministry in the church, the core of everything we do, every ministry you're involved in should be God's Word. Recently I was at a seminar and one of the presenters presented us a visual, and a visual that helped me out a lot, and I want to present it to you too, because I think often we make the mistake of taking God's Word and putting it here, instead of taking God's Word and putting it out in front, leading us. Often we put ourselves in front of God's Word, instead of allowing God's Word to be put in front of us. When we are all in God's Word, teaching and admonishing each other, it is then that we begin to put on the new self. Today's message is not titled, Ten Easy Steps to Enrich Your Faith. Today's sermon is titled Genuine Faith Revolution, and it has been my prayer this morning, this week, and the past year. That we as a church would experience a genuine faith revolution, a sudden, radical, and complete change. The radical or complete change that Paul is proposing here is nothing new. Paul is saying, keep walking in Jesus, stable and steadfast. Not stopping, standing firm, being convinced of God's fullness rooted in the salvation we have in Jesus Christ, 
Walk in Him just as you have been taught. There is nothing new about this. My last Dick Lucas quote. Holiness is to be recognized not by religious achievements or by a spirituality that is superior to the normal human condition, but by the development of a genuine humanness by a freedom that is unafraid to be in Christ, the person God made us to be. I am not afraid to live in the light of the gospel on my life. I will humbly live with Jesus as the sole captain of my life. In the book Imperfect Disciple, Jared Wilson says, every day when you encounter God in your devotional time, in your time of worship, in your life group or classes, in your Bible study, in church, in a worship service, in any moment in which you spend time with Jesus, you face a choice of simply looking at Jesus or actually trying to see him. When you are in God's Word, you face a choice of either just looking at Jesus or actually taking the time to try to see Him. What you are focused on will shape you and it will lead you. It's living individually and corporately in that reality. What we at First Baptist are focused on is God's Word. It is our focus, it will shape us, it will lead us. Today is the opportunity to revolutionize your faith, not with some new technique, but from the ancient words of Paul that he wrote to the church of Colossae. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and forgiveness. Put on love. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And to actually do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As followers of Christ, as Christians, You represent Christ at all times, where you go and whatever you say. Believers can go about their lives working, playing, studying, and planning, and do everything to the glory of God, and we can give thanks to God for what he has given to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, may it be true. May it be true of us that we are not about religious achievements or spiritual superiority, but that we are about genuine faith relationship with you. That we are unafraid to simply be in you to live in you, to love you, to obey you, to be in your word. We ask that we are a people of compassionate hearts, kind and humble, meek and patient and forgiving of each other. We ask that we are a people who are diving into your word, 
that we are taking your holy scriptures to heart, that your word will richly dwell in us, that everything we do and say would be done and said in your name. And it is with thankful hearts, Lord, we pray this. In Jesus' precious name, amen.